0: Welcome to episode 245. When you cross a threshold, it means you move past the barrier in order to achieve or receive the goal. The two thresholds that have transformed my ministry this summer and how they could transform yours. That's today on The Reclaim Leader. Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Welcome to episode 245 of the Reclaim Leader equipping churches for turnaround change. I'm Jason Tucker. Jesse Skiffington is not here today, which I know is kind of weird. It's always weird for me when I do these episodes by myself. It's nowhere near as fun. But truth be told, our schedules this summer have been absolutely insane. It's been really hard to connect as uh, we've just got so much going on and pulled in a lot of different directions. And I know, I mean, you know, it's not a pity party. I know you're the same way too. (laughs) You've got a lot going on and pulled in a lot of different directions, but I wanted to share some something with you today. It's a bit personal, but it's about these two thresholds that I've been thinking a lot about that have really transformed my ministry this summer. And I mean, honestly, it's God transforming my ministry through these thresholds, but I think they could be useful in thinking about for everyone. So maybe you might resonate with what I'm going to say today and think on this and perhaps God might have you pivot a little bit or renew your thinking in an area. And it all has to do, the catalyst event for me this summer was, I had that op- the opportunity to be the camp pastor where my kids go to camp. We're very invested in this camp that we go to. We've been going for the last seven, eight years. My daughter, who is 17, she's going to be a senior in high school this year. She's a junior counselor on staff there. So she loves it. My son, who's 13, loves it. Uh, he was there the week that I was there, and my 10 year old son loves it as well. He was there this summer. What I love about this camp is it's it's old school, in the it's very much like the camp that I became a Christian at at age 19. It's very um, relationship based, so there's not a ton of attractions per se, but they do things like archery, and they have a zip line, and they go kayaking and they sleep in platform tents, and they sing songs about Jesus, and um, it, it's, it's, a lot, it's a Jesus camp, right? In every good way that that is. Now, I've been camp pastor there before, but something happened this last week, and I suspect it's to do with a kind of an intersection of different events that were going on, but I was there, you know, with the middle school group, and my job was to speak to them two times a day, but especially for the evening program and whatever it was about this week it, it was different i felt like i really connected with the kids in a different way and that the spirit was guiding me to a whole bunch of conversations and the night that we always sort of give a a time for kids to make a decision for Jesus, but it's more than that. It's not an altar call. Kids are invited to go off and to meet with their counselors and to talk about anything they like. If they've got an issue that they want God's help with or they want to talk about, they can do that. They can certainly dedicate uh, their lives to Jesus or they can rededicate. It's kind of a, a broad invitation, if you will, to have a conversation. And there have been some years where nobody has come to talk to me. They're all just going to their counselors, which is which is great. But this year, I had five or six kids come to me, and it was all with just really deep stuff. And I found this to be so, such sacred space, uh, having the kids talk to me. And I had a chance to talk with them about faith and to encourage them. I even had an opportunity to invite somebody to... Except Jesus, if they were ready. And let the record show, they were not ready, which also was great because we had a conversation about that. So it was a really powerful week for me. And when I finished up the week and I headed home, I was thinking to myself, you know, I don't, I obviously don't want to make a career change, but, you know, I did youth ministry for 20 years before I became a pastor or, you know, went to seminary. And, I don't know if it was just sort of nostalgia to have this really intense, good spiritual time with the kids, or if it was a reminder, this is what I got into ministry for in the first place. So I came home, and I started talking with my wife, Karen, about it, and she's like, you know, I'm like, I don't know, I'm I'm not looking for a career change, I'm not looking to go back to youth ministry per se, but I felt more myself this week and more used by the Spirit this week than I have in a while. And I just want to know, I just wonder, what is that about? What is that about for me? There's a a threshold here, a ministry threshold, and I need to cross it more. Because whatever's going on in the life of the church back home, I feel like I'm not able to do what I'm able to do here. And she really identified it well. My my wife's very smart like that. She said, well, you know what it is? You did not have to lead anything. You don't have to train the staff and you don't have to worry about the budget. And you didn't have to do all of these logistical things. And you, all you got to do is to, to be let loose to minister to these kids. You got to do what you got into ministry to do. And I said, wow. You know, I was like, you're absolutely right. And then I was thinking, how do I do that more in this ministry that I'm in now? How can I be more myself? Find spaces where I can just minister to people and to their needs. I know it's different. I know camp's different. Camp's an intense situation where you don't have the distractions of everything else. Kids are different because their walls are a little thinner, right? So, You can reach them with the gospel, I think, a little bit easier. I don't know, but it really got me thinking about this idea of thresholds. A threshold is something that you move, you got to move past in order to achieve or receive the goal that you're going for. So as I'm thinking about thresholds and thinking about how do I get over this ministry threshold, I, I was simultaneously reading a book about, guess what, thresholds. And uh, it was a book that I set out to read. I think we mentioned it even on the podcast called I Once Was Lost by Don Everts and Doug Shop, I think is how you say it, Um, to InterVarsity guys who wrote a book. This isn't a new book either, but it's new to me. In 2008, they wrote this book based on their work at UCLA doing InterVarsity college ministry. What they were noticing was there was a progression of sorts of how postmodern kids were coming to faith in Jesus and they decided to write about these stages that they talk about. And actually they use the word threshold. And it's funny, I had set out to read this book and I was reading it during the week I was camp pastor and everything just sort of came together to me. So that's why I'm thinking a lot about thresholds right now. Um, But the book itself is, is a reminder of what I experienced at camp is that disciples are handmade. They're not Mass produced. There's. It's about personal relationship. Evangelism is is an invitation to relationship, and thinking about how can I do that more in the life of the church. I think has a lot to do with kind of the premise of this book. The premise is uh, now, if you haven't read it, I really encourage you to get a copy. I think it's a really nice way of framing it. But it's sort of taking the parable of the sower. And uh, the way that parable ends, at least in Mark four, is you see the seed starts to grow and it grows in stages. It says it grows seed, then stalk, then head, then full grain, and then it's ripe for the harvest. And so, uh, what Don and Doug did in their book was they they saw okay, yeah, we're seeing the same thing in stages of faith. It's very organic, right? It's it's part of the process, uh, going from a place of unbelief to belief and what does that look like so I thought I'd talk a little bit about that um, as a kind of talking about the thresholds of conversion they call them the five thresholds of conversion and then talking about another threshold that sort of ties it together all right so um, so this I guess this is part book review but it's also just part the water I've been swimming in the last few weeks so the five thresholds of conversion as they call it Let's start with threshold number 1. Uh a a person needs to move from a place of distrust to trust. Non-believers often had real often have really good reasons for not trusting a Christian. But they may also have preconceptions or prejudice against Christians from how they're portrayed in media or in situations that happen in the world, I mean, obviously, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about uh, Christians in our culture right now, and I can't t- say anything about being evangelical because there's so much baggage with that word. I've I've stopped using that word altogether because people don't understand what I'm saying, um, or they sort of see me the wrong way, or that I'm aligned with you know this is a political movement that I'm trying to champion when the only movement I'm trying to champion is the sake of the gospel. So, uh, but that's threshold one is moving from a place of distrust to trust. And sometimes the first step for people, oftentimes the first step for people on their journey to faith is learning to trust another Christian, learning to trust another Christian. And why is that important? Well, because if someone's at stage one, And they just have to trust a Christian. They're not going to listen to you when you're just like, hey, I want to invite you to come to our men's group. Hey, I want to invite you to come to our church. They're not even there yet because they don't even trust any Christians in their life. So, you know, making sure that we are making the most of the soil, we want to make sure that we understand at what, what threshold are they at so that we can best bring the gospel to bear in that particular area. Okay, the second stage of conversion or the second threshold of conversion is moving from a place of, of moving from complacent to curious, complacent to curious. That's when, you know, sometimes our friends are willing to talk and to answer questions we might have for them, even on spiritual topics, but they're not at a point where they're really reciprocating that necessarily. They're just kind of getting curious about this whole God thing. Um, there are some questions in the book that I thought were really interesting. There were sort of sample questions to ask those who may be curious to invite them into thinking deeper about their spiritual lives. For example, you can ask somebody in this stage, in the curious stage, hey, have you ever had a spiritual experience? Would you like to have one one day? Or have you ever felt like you received a sign from God? What would you, what would you do if God gave you a sign? Right? So it's just kind of sparking curiosity, moving, moving into a place where they're willing to s- sort of observe things and think, yeah, you know, I wonder. I wonder about that. I wonder if there's something deeper. It doesn't necessarily mean this is the stage where you just kind of answer every question they have with some kind of, you know, truth or, you know, propositional truth. It's just, how do I get them thinking about possibilities when it comes to their spiritual life. You know, moving from complacent to curious. And when they do that, again, now they've moved to the second threshold of conversion. The third threshold is going from closed to change to open to change. And in the book, it says that this seems to be the hardest threshold to cross. It is, of course, possible to be curious and to love asking questions about and talking about deep and spiritual things, but have no intention to change What seems like a pretty good, satisfying life. And I think that's fair. And I think that's very real that many never cross this phase. You know, I've spent time with a lot of people who have just kind of been stuck in the curious phase for a really long time, and they just sort of lose interest. Because if this whole Jesus thing means some what they perceive to be some kind of sacrifice or change in their life, they... It's just too much of a threshold for them to cross. So a lot of people kind of stay in curious. And in the book, they say, if you stay in curious too long, you'll just sort of lose interest, and, and that'll be that. So interesting, right? Being Going from close to change to open to change is a big threshold. But that's threshold three. Again, why does this make sense? Because you're probably not going to be very effective talking about how Jesus changes your life. Uh, there's a tagline from North Point. Um, they say we believe uh, Jesus makes your life better and makes you better at life, which I think is a really, a really nice way of putting it. Some would say maybe it sounds a little too um, commercially. I, I don't know, but I like it. And um, but saying that to somebody who's not open to change, it it's just not going to resonate with them, right? If they're not ready to go into cross that threshold. They're not going to be convinced that change is anything that they need. They're just maybe curious, or maybe, again, they're just learning to trust a Christian for the first time. The the fourth threshold is going from meandering to seeking. Now, there's a big difference, right? You can sort of meander through the curiosity, but it's another thing to actually be seeking God. Even when our friends become curious about Jesus and even open a change in their life it didn't necessarily follow they were saying in the book that they begin actively purposefully seeking god it's more natural for them to meander right that they say yes to our invitations the way someone might go to the movies i'm free this week yeah let's go to church not you know not necessarily yeah i'm going to commit to purposeful seeking by coming to church on a regular basis so going from meandering to seeking and um And then once this happens, again, they could linger in this stage for a long time, seeking, seeking, seeking. What's really important is that they come to a decision point. At some point, they'll have to decide, who is Jesus to me, right? He's answering that famous question that Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? At some point, we all have to answer that question. It's not just sort of like perpetual seeking. At some point, the seeking lands at the door of our hearts. Which then brings us to threshold five, from darkness to entering the kingdom of light. Finally, each of our friends has one more threshold to cross, the book says. They need to cross the threshold of the kingdom itself. They needed to repent and believe and give their lives to Jesus. Many people who journey well along the path of faith, learning to trust a Christian, becoming curious about Jesus, becoming open to personal change, even seeking after answers, never become Christians. So, some of the questions in the book that I think are helpful to ask is, you know, do you have a sense that your friend might be ready to be invited to become a Christian? What are clues that might indicate their readiness? I think that's important to think about. Would you be ready to invite your friends to become Christians? How would you put that invitation? What do they need to understand about faith before they can cross that threshold? And the book goes on to talk about some of the thresholds, you know, that there are other thresholds even after that th- The threshold of faith is crossed about kind of their spiritual lives, or you want to call it sanctification or whatever, after that, which I think are really good that maybe we could come back to at another time. But I love this idea of thresholds of conversion. And again, I started thinking, how can I live in this space more and less in the sort of strange, political reality and i don't mean necessarily uh you know democrat republican political i just mean the political realities of the church how do i do more thinking about the thresholds of faith and more personal attention to to people in the church in that way than some of this other junk that gets in the way now i mean listen i know leadership involves us doing things that we don't love to do Or maybe even things that we're even gifted at doing that are required. But again, I just keep asking this question, how do I free myself up to be more me like I did with those kids at camp? Because I think it has everything to do with walking with people through these stages of faith, finding ways to develop real relationships to help them through. How do we do that? How do I do that? How do we as a church do that? And I think by asking these questions, I think it starts to bring some clarity about what really matters most. I had a phone call just moments before I recorded this podcast. It was about somebody reaching out. We're planning to do this remembering your baptism event coming up in, in a few weeks. And um, this person who I had talked to before wanted to talk about it. And we, we talked for about half an hour and I ended up in a lot of ways using this stuff that I've been talking about and thinking about to talk about the importance of baptism for their children and uh, the journey of faith and what that looks like and when you get stuck why does that happen and what are some of the ways that you can get unstuck and it was and I got a chance to pray with her at the end and I'm like that's it (laughs) this is what I need to be doing. And I was so thankful that the Lord brought that opportunity to me. So maybe part of it for me is just being more aware of the opportunities the Lord's already providing me and for me to use those in the way I'm supposed to. Relationally, spiritually, everything. That the majority of my time and energy is spent on that as much as possible. It's when I feel most alive, most myself, and most like I'm doing what I got into ministry to do in the first place. I don't know. I don't know that I really have an answer to how all these things are coming together for me, but they are. And I think I'm going to continue unpacking that over the next few weeks, these thresholds. What's the threshold? The thresholds of conversion, and how does that impact my personal ministry and the church's ministry? My threshold for doing ministry more than... Dealing with other stuff uh, in the life of the church? What's that threshold? And I think there's another threshold that I want to talk about, and it sort of ties together these two things, and that is the threshold of fear. Because I think when it comes down to it, the threshold of fear is the thing that's stopping me, stopping our church, stopping people from progressing in a direction toward Jesus Christ. Fear is powerful. We've all and listen, pastors. We've all preached on this that doubt isn't the opposite of faith. Fear is. You can move forward in faith even if you harbor some doubts, but you cannot move forward with fear. Fear is a killer. Fear will stop you in your tracks and send you in the other direction. So I start asking questions. What What are the fears that are stopping me from? being this version of a pastor that I want to be? Or what's stopping us as a church from helping people through the stages of faith? Or what's stopping people who are in the stages of faith from making a decision for Jesus? It's almost always to do with fear. And and I think there's this beautiful story in, I'm actually going to read it to you from my Once Was Lost. I'm going to read it to you directly. And since it's kind of an extended quote, I'm going to share with you the page numbers so that Make sure I do it properly, and that's um, pages 103 through 105. I'm just going to read this for you because I feel like this pulls it all together when it comes to fear and uh, what's at stake. Okay, so here we go. This is from Threshold Five, this is from the chapter on entering the kingdom. Matei was in her first year of college, she had grown up a Christian but was dead set against evangelism. She could barely even tell people that she was a Christian, let alone talk with others about Jesus. But during the first months of college, she felt convicted during a Bible study to help out the two women in the dorm next to hers. These other two first-year students weren't getting along at all and had asked Matei if she'd be willing to move out of her single room and switch with one of them so they wouldn't have to be roommates anymore. Matei liked her single room but felt God strongly urging her to help them out. When she had made the decision to move in with Sarah, one of the two neighbors, an older believer challenged her to be honest with Sarah about why she was doing it, and Sarah, you know, asked her, you know, why, why are you, you know, you're giving up a single to, to live in, to have a roommate again, why are you doing that, and Matei felt the nerves, felt the fear of being honest, but she answered honestly, she said, my voice shaking, I blubbered, um, well, it's just that, see, I kind of feel like the way I see it, Honestly, Sarah, I think that God told me to move in with you, so I'm going to. (laughs) I love that. Sarah looked at Matei a bit puzzled and said, Well, whatever, I'm just glad you're moving in. As the school year progressed, Matei began taking small steps to bring Jesus up in conversation, to tell Sarah when she was going to a Bible study. I started putting two and two together in my mind. Sarah has these struggles, and Jesus has these answers. I knew them both. I should let her in on the goods. One day when Sarah was in tears over the pressure she was experiencing at school, Matei offered to pray for her, and Sarah welcomed the prayer. Sarah had begun to trust a Christian. There's that first stage. As the spring semester rolled around, the two women had continued to grow as friends. One night when both of them had gone to bed and the lights were out, their conversation came around to God. Sarah had been reading a New Age book about how everything in your life is connected and there are signs everywhere. Matei knew it was an important moment. It was pitch black dark in the room and everything seemed calm, she said, but I felt like my heart was going to pop out of my body. It was pounding so hard. I had this unnerving feeling that God was not going to let me fall asleep until I took this next step and asked her if she wanted to do a gig with me. This was their college Bible study. So I took a deep breath and asked if she'd be interested in taking a look at at what Jesus had to say about some of those things. She answered easily, sure, when can we start? Curiosity, right? Second stage. So their gigs were rich in discussion about Jesus. Both of them told stories about how their lives connected to the text. Sarah loved learning about Jesus. She soaked in the stories of his character and always wanted to go deeper. She had become curious about Jesus and was open to how his words connected with her own life. So when April rolled around, Sarah was more willing to go with Matei to a weekend retreat called Up Close. The retreat was held on Catalina Island, an hour-long ferry ride from Los Angeles. The first night they were on the island, Sarah prayed for a sign. She told Matei that the pieces were in place, but she couldn't trust that Jesus was someone she should give her life to unless she had some proof. She told Matei bluntly, I am a science major, so I need some evidence. The following morning, one of the staff... John taught out of John 6, where Jesus proclaims, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Matei remembers the morning and the rest of the week very well. She said, the whole talk talk was about bread. Bread stories, bread symbolism, bread scriptures, bread, bread, bread. Halfway through it, it hit me. My mind flashed back to our boat ride over to Catalina. Sarah and I had played a word game on the boat of all the words in the dictionary, the one that she had picked was bread. And because I messed up the game, we randomly got into this long conversation about bread. So as I'm sitting listening to John preach, this connection dawns on me and I look over at Sarah. Tears are streaming down her cheeks and she looks at me, smiles and mouths, bread. Sarah was amazed that God had given her the sign. That night, at the evening session, John called for those who wanted to come alive like Lazarus to stand, and Sarah went up strong. Unashamed and, unashamed and boldly, she stood up for Jesus. I could not contain myself as I sat next to her, trembling with joy. I had never seen such a beautiful thing, and I knew that moment that I'd never be the same. This was even better than when I became a Christian. So listen, I think what's at stake in this really wonderful story is what's at stake for all of us if we refuse to cross the threshold of fear. What if Matei had never crossed the threshold and said yes to rooming with Sarah? What if she never crossed the threshold to invite her to Bible study or to invite her to the retreat or to ju- kind of jump into an actual friendship relationship with Sarah? I think there's something to this with everything I've said so far in this episode. Back to my question, how do I spend more time doing actual ministry? How do we as a church spend more time understanding what the thresholds of faith are so that we can reach people where they are and help them take a step? What if I never crossed the threshold of fear? You know, it's funny, on the other side of fear often are some of the most meaningful, beautiful things that happen in our lives. We have to push through that threshold to receive the goal that is on the other side. So listen, friends, I don't know how this is all landing for you today. I just know that it's all hitting me in the heart really hard, (laughs) and uh, I hope that it inspires you and sparks something in you to, to figure out, hey, how can I be more the person God called me to be in ministry than the person maybe that I am right now? Or how can God help us as a church cross that threshold of fear to make a difference, to share the gospel, to invite people into relationship with Jesus? Well, I hope this has been helpful to you. Again, hopefully we'll get Jesse back here for our next episode. Uh, but again, thank you so much for listening. And uh, if you ever wanna reach out, wanna encourage you to reach out jason or jesse at reclaimleader.com. we love if you left us a review on iTunes. that it helps people to find the podcast. And until next time, remember, ministry is hard. It is so much better when we do it together. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to Reclaimed Leader. Join us next time for more insights, interviews, and resources to help you in your leadership journey.